Hello and welcome to the Uncorrect Podcast, episode 26. I'm Tom Rosati. I'm Stephen Witt. And we have a very special guest today, none other than the public advocate himself, Jumani Williams. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, we're really excited to have you here. We're going to talk about your upbringing, uh, how you got into politics, and then discuss more contemporary uh, issues. Um, so you were born and raised in Brooklyn. Yes, except for the first two days. Uh, I, I was told it was Manhattan, and I was quickly brought to uh, my favorite borough, uh, Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, I can't say that anymore because I'm citywide. So uh, all the boroughs, I retracted all the boroughs of my favorite boroughs. Oh, no, but I'm, I'm Brooklyn uh, through and through and very excited about that. And uh, Actually, I did all my schooling in the Brooklyn public school system. Where'd, yep. you, where'd you go to grammar school? Uh, PS364. Where was that? In Starrett City. Uh, I was in Starrett oh, City, Starrett City. Uh, until I was 18. And then I went over to Bushwick, I-33, Philip Eskyla, and then Brooklyn Technical High School, and then uh, Brooklyn College twice. Nah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I was reading, you, you went to Brooklyn Tech, and then you went to Brooklyn College for your undergrad, and then you got a master's in urban policy, also at Brooklyn College. That's correct. That's isn't that exactly what Corey Provost did? Do you know Corey Provost? I know Corey Provost very well. He was actually coming in as uh, I was uh, going out, um, but we all participated in uh, which was then. It's a little different now, but then was pretty pretty vibrant um, political operations going on in at Brooklyn College. There was actually two political parties: uh, USL United Students League and Progressive Hotik for Downtown PhD. I actually chaired USL, uh, and actually was founded by Nick Perry. He's one of the founders. And so a lot of us came up through there, including Kirsten John Foy, who was a brother from another mother, and uh, Corey Provost and others. A lot of folks uh, in the, in this uh, political world actually went to Brooklyn College and participated there. It was a great training ground for politics outside. So is that what got you into politics, like taking political science classes and... So my first love, believe it or not, is acting. Uh, wow. That's what I was uh, planning to do. That was going to be my career. I have Tourette's Syndrome when, when I'm acting, actually. Uh, the tics go away. It's a, it's a very zen place for me. Huh. Uh, so I, I went to Brooklyn College for theater, and I switched to film because the auditions I was going on at that time were for, like, all typecasts, drug dealers, murderers, and I said I'm going to make my own stories uh, to show a better light. And uh, social justice issue was was always a thing for me, even in my in my arts I always say my heroes were X-Men, Spider-Man, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. They were all kind of the same thing to me. And it wasn't, when I got to Brooklyn College, I really started seeing the connection between um, electoral politics and the change that I wanted to see socially. And I got very much involved in activities at Brooklyn College, ran for student government, ran for student government president, was, was heavily involved. And that kind of took off from there. And this was like, what, the early, late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, I got in, uh, I guess, 95, 94. Uh-huh. Uh, well, it took me pretty, pretty while, a long time to get out. So uh, from 94 to, 20, oh, f- to 2005 for both my master's. And uh, it took me seven years to get my four-year and four years to get my two-year. All right. That's like, mm-hmm. that's like Steve. <laughs> 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 took me 30 years to graduate college. <laughs> So yep. I'm curious, a couple of things uh, that I'd just like to ask. You started with the Thomas Jefferson Club, which was Frank Sedio's club. And, you know, you're, you're a progressive lawmaker, but Sedio has a lot to teach. I mean, I guess from Starrett City and coming there, that was the nearest club? Or? Well, when I, um, um, my mother bought a house when I was 18 uh, on Avenue J, East 54th Street, 
where she still lives. And so uh, I, it was from there where I started getting involved in politics. Uh, there was a woman named Linda Ashkenazi who uh, ran the Hillel House at Brooklyn College. And we always uh, debated. We, we didn't see eye to eye on, on everything, but with a, lo- a lot of respect there. And I was very interested in politics in general. And she said, I'm going to introduce you to somebody who's running for uh, city council. And his name is Lou Fiddler. Oh, Lou. Yeah. May he rest in peace. And yeah. so Lou Fiddler was kind of my first connection out there. And, and he brought me over to Thomas Jefferson Club. And uh, I met her, Berman, and um, uh, Bernie, and uh, Frank Setti, and, and those folks. And it was a great place to learn. I, I never apologize. As a matter of fact, I always say, I actually, I actually went to people who uh, looked more like me and I, I assumed had uh, more politics like me, the, the, the doors weren't really open, if I want to be honest about it. And I, that's a lesson I hope um, hope to not repeat. But, you know, the arms were, were wide open at the Thomas Jefferson Club, and I was eager to learn. And I'm very happy that um, they accepted me, and I'm glad that I learned a lot from them. As you might imagine, uh, <laughs> with everything, we don't see eye to eye as well. <laughs> Um, but that's okay. I'm never going to take away from what I learned there and the fact that they opened had open arms for me. Yeah, I've noticed going to the clubs, it's actually most one of the most integrated clubs so far as, as clubs go. I mean, yeah. Well, I actually, they probably didn't have that much choice either, right? <laughs> yeah, because Canarsie. Yeah, it was, it was, it was changing uh, pretty, pretty rapidly. But, you know, to their credit, they adapted very well. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of uh, where I started from and I'm proud of how I ended up here. So you you very famously call yourself an activist elected official, and that um, harkens back to your days as a community organizer and um, the executive director of the New York State Tenants and Neighbors. Um, how did your political ideas form in terms of seeing what was going on and seeing what was the most important thing that you felt needed to um be changed in New York, and, and you know what brought you to um, the, the ideas and beliefs that you have. So the one yeah. thing that that, that was was amazing, and I'm I'm happy for is, is both my parents, but particularly my mom, my dad uh, moved to North Carolina when I was very young. Um, civil rights and history of Black Americans uh, was very big in my household, and that, and I appreciate that. I didn't appreciate it then because I wanted to watch cartoons most of the time. <laughs> and uh, there was a program called Like It Is by Gil Noble. That uh, my mother forced us to watch every day, yeah, even after church. Uh, <laughs> so uh, those things were very much embedded in my mind. Uh, my parents hailed from Grenada, um, and uh, it was my heritage is very important to me from Grenada as well. But uh, the experience of Black Americans was was ingrained in me, and the triumph that people went through, and how like you just didn't ask for it. You had to go out and really demand and. Uh, many cases, put your body on the line and, and get laws passed, and all those things were ingrained in me. So when I saw, started seeing inequities, I, I was like, I, I want to be part of my heroes, and as I'm reading about it, try to affect change. And that's what I did. Interestingly enough, the um, the first time I thought I had heard about democratic socialism was Bernie, and people would ask me, and it was really in my head the first time. But I found a, a paper that I wrote in college in the 90s where it talked about me learning about democratic socialism from... Uh, from Maurice Bishop huh. and how it helped form what I was thinking about at that moment in time. So that was pretty amazing when I read that back that I've, I've been pretty darn consistent <laughs> for some time. It, Maurice Bishop is, was he Jamaican? He was a, no, he was the prime minister of Grenada. Grenada, uh, He okay. was assassinated right. and that was the uh, the excuse that was used for- The coup? For Yeah, for, well the excuse that was used for the American invasion. 
uh, which they really was just a big Cuba. Um, who has the bigger one, Cuba or America kind of thing that, that went on. In 1983? Yeah, 1983 yeah. or 88, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I barely remember. You're bringing me back to that. His, that was Reagan, right? That was Reagan, yeah. Right. He, like, invaded a tiny little island yeah. or something. <laughs> it's like, we're going to, and we won, you know? Yeah. I think they had a movie about it, too. I can't remember what it, what it was. It was mm-hmm. like a big movie about the invasion. Like, it's the, There's more folks in my council district than in Grenada. Really? Yeah, there is, and so they invaded and tried to make it seem like it was like he was trying. Uh, yeah. that, that was the era of of interventions or yeah. covert interventions and not selective covert. salvation. Yeah, in the, in the Cold War, Red Scare. So you, you know, you say a progressive. I just got to mention this. You know, there's a big war now between the gang of four. Take away what Trump said, which is you know I find very racist, and and you know his recent divisive comments. There is a kind of national and a local war about between progressives and mainstream uh, Democrats. Do you think that's good for the party? And, and you think, uh, where do you think that's going to wind up? Um, first of all, I forgot to shout out Malcolm X, whose mom is from Grenada. So really? I sure oh, do that. I didn't yeah. know that. Huh? Uh, and I went to Grenada in, with Betty, Dr. Betty Shabazz in my early 20s. It was, it was a very big highlight of my, my life, actually, with her and uh, Nick Perry. Um so I, I, I strange you when people say it, why they think it's bad for the party. Um, last I remember, the Republicans had a very divisive um, primary, and they wound up with the presidency. <laughs> so it seemed to work out for them. And I think it's very good to get these ideas out. What frustrates me is that it seems like we're relitigating things that we should have learned our lessons from, uh, which I believe is how Trump won. I think people are ready for a message that people are at the center of. And... Uh, I think the the squad and, and many of us who have been pushing, I call courageous progressives because not everybody's adopted the word progressive. Uh, when Cuomo is the champion of progressivism, uh, it's time to kind of look at what that definition is. <laughs> right, so, right. Um, so I like to call it courageous progress- progressivism. And there are things that many of us were talking about 10 or more years ago. Uh, 10 years ago, I was just crazy Jumani doing crazy things. And now many of the things that we were speaking about all quote-unquote mainstream, all the things people are talking about and see uh, why it's important. So I think it's beneficial to the party. More important, I think it's beneficial to the nation because we have allowed people to mistake the message of Republicans as a message of wanting to help people. We have ceded that to them, and that's very unfortunate. And they've used um, that as an excuse to push forward uh, bigoted and racist and xenophobic, all those things. Wait. Uh, Wait, wanting the, that the Republican message is to wanting to help people? Uh, they have won that message, right? People are saying the Republicans are for us. People who will never benefit from I know, Republican yeah. policy believe that. So now you just have straight up racists, fine. Right. And then you have, I think, most of us who actually, uh, it's hard to live in a society without uh, any kind of un, uh, you know bias in our minds. Mm-hmm. Um, and Trump has tapped into some of those uh, biases. But really, I think people uh, in this country are suffering. And so um, you have the 99% and you have the 1%. And the 1% have convinced the 99% that the problem is blacks, Latinos, Jews, gays, and immigrants. <laughs> and not the policies that allow people to get richer and richer. Well, yeah, I mean, they just they generally use fear as their motivating factor, whereas Democrats use the harder road of, okay, well, you know, we have to solve these problems. And, and, it's, and you know, we all want to be... Uh, prospering together, but but we've allowed them to do that, right? Yeah. So Democrats, we allow them, but to do that by playing the same 
um, this the same incumbent protection game that everybody else plays. If we decide that incumbency protection is not the most important thing, I think we'll have a, a different tenor. It's like we just we're doing the same things that they're doing, but they have the benefit of uh, being able to use fear, which is an amazing motivator and always has been. Sadly, yes. Um, well, when you say incumbent protection, I mean there's the argument that there's political gentrification too. That there's you know that the AOCs and Julia Salazar's you know that they're going into other neighborhoods and kind of saying, well, we've got to change this. There shouldn't be incumbent protection. Can you address that? I mean, I mean, if you're asking me if there's paternalism uh, uh, on the left, yes, <laughs> there has always been paternalism, and there is now. I don't know. These things don't always have to be mutually exclusive, and we should address those issues, and I'm always happy to speak about it. I have always uh, spoken about issues I had uh, with the Working Families Party around those issues, around who's making decisions. To their credit, they have uh, made uh, great efforts to, to bring in uh, folks of more color uh, that have leadership positions um, to be at the top. But I will say, if it wasn't for the Working Families Party, I wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for some of those very same people who were taking the mantle of the issues I care about, I wouldn't be here. And so um, I, what I do have to make sure that we're allowing people on the ground who are most affected uh, to take charge. We also have to say, okay, who's going to be the people uh, who are going to push the envelope? And, you know, I, I'm always going to be supportive of that. So um, your new role as a public advocate um you have a new structure for your department. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how your office is going to run? Oh, uh, we run, we had a, a, a different vision for the public advocates office. Uh, I believe we wanted to build on what was there, uh, but we switched it a little bit. Um, uh, the attorney general was very heavily focused on litigation, which I think it's it's important to do and want to continue that. Uh, we've we've changed it to be more focused around organizing. I think there's been a, a dearth of avenues for information up and down communities and they feel like things are being done to them not with them and so we've really we're really changing how that works and and how that information goes up and goes down we really want to be able to rapidly respond when things are happening in different parts of the city and that's the primary focus that we have so we're going to have deputy public advocates of issue areas we're going to have borough advocates and organizers on the ground uh, just a, just a different view of what we think this office can do so there's like a, it's a proactive approach to say, hey, we're not going to let the problems come to us. We're going to go out there, be in the community, and uh, actively tackle the problems that, that our constituents are, are Absolutely. facing. I mean, I'm, I, if, because I'm an organizer by training, it's just <laughs> it's yeah. kind of naturally how I think, and I think this is a, the perfect role to kind of execute that. Well, it's interesting because we, we've talked about this before. Like um, uh, Some of these programs, these city programs, people don't even know that they exist. You know, de Blasio had to get people out to go out to neighborhoods and promote the idea or prom tell people that they could sign up for free health insurance. And so there is this disconnect between just in terms of policies that exist now between city government and, and populations. And since we're such a big city, it's a real it's a real issue. It's a real thing. And that's one that one we have to do better at. It's not particularly easy to solve. Right. Uh, because every time you have a new initiative. How do you get it to the 9 million people right. in all the different corners, in the places that they know, and how much does that cost? So we definitely have to do better. We want to be part of uh, doing better. But we also have things like uh, homeless shelters and Rikers Island's plan where the plan is kind of decided and then thrown on the community. 
And we have to have a better way to communicate and a better way to activate people who are there and saying, listen, I'm ready to, to roll up my sleeves and get involved, but you got to activate. That hasn't been happening. And that one, I think, is a little bit easier to solve. So I think that's a really good idea, by the way. I mean, I think that, that it, it sounds, having covered you know several public advocates, that it's a much more proactive use of that role as, as a public advocate that really hasn't been used before. Well, I, you know, I don't want to knock other public advocates. I think everybody brought something different, and we, we want to build on that and kind of we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I appreciate um, the, the, the accolades and what we're trying to do. We just have a, a different vision, and we're going to try our best to execute that. No, it's interesting, though, because there are I – mean, you can think of so many different examples of something happening in the city and then having a slow reaction to it by people who are like – wait, actually, I don't know if that's a good idea. And so the idea is to have that piece ready so when something does happen, there can be an immediate response and say, hey, okay, well, this is we're here, we're the people, and we're, we're going to respond this particular way. Absolutely. And you, have, you have to count our voice. That's, that's the plan. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to do our best to execute that. It's only four months in there, so I haven't solved the problem yet. <laughs> uh, but we're close. You know, real quick, when you won the public advocacy, your speech really moved me. You know, it was about a little kid and as a little boy growing up, and you are that boy. Did, did you always feel like, you know, as as a human being, like seeing yourself here today? I mean, are you still kind of amazed by that? And I am utterly. I've been amazed every time I've uh, walked up the city hall steps every single time for almost a decade. I'm amazed when I go to the public advocate and I see my name on the door. Uh, I think those were things that I, I wanted to happen and I, I believed can happen, but I, I always, I've always dealt with uh, self-esteem issues. I've always dealt with a whole bunch of issues, a host of issues uh, that sometimes people are surprised to hear about um, that have been difficult. You just kind of chug, chug through it. And sometimes I know folks are oftentimes appreciative of, of my speeches, um, but surprisingly, a lot of times, I'm trying to figure out how to talk to me, and so I think that's what makes it um, earnest, like I'm, I'm talking to the, the crowd of folks, like I'm, like I'm talking to a crowd of people like me who are dealing with issues that are very real, that people may not know about, that have to do with self-worth and all those issues, and um, that, that's what I think try, I try to make it as impactful as possible. Uh, I think that's really cool. You know, you were talking about acting. Just, I want to go quickly into this lightning round where you all mentioned something that's on our mind and something that relates. I saw this movie, Last Black Man in San Francisco, last mm -hmm. week. Incredible movie. I highly recommend it to everybody. And you talk about acting. I think it had to deal with uh, gentrification, black masculinity, and... Did you see the movie? Or have you no, heard I about saw it? the the ads about it, and I was very intrigued by it. And so I'm glad to hear that it was good because I saw I saw the ads before it was coming out, and it looked like a very well put together movie. And th thematically, it was good as well. It's well. unbelievable. I was one of the best movies I've seen in a while. Wow. And it also some of the it had the uh, the father from Everybody Loves Chris was oh, it, yeah. and it had Pam from Martin is oh, the wow. auntie. It has uh, Mike Epps in there. And then in Dan and Glover, Glover, what's his name? Donald Glover. Yeah, D Donald Glover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just the cast was really, you know, awesome. I'm definitely checking it out. That's uh, a good cast, right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a, a good movie. What do you think of Denzel Washington as an actor? <laughs> oh, I mean, obviously Denzel is great. I I do think his his, his best work was actually Malcolm X, in my in my opinion. He's a he's a, obviously a fantastic actor. There's some underrated actors like Jeffrey Wright 
who I think is, is beyond phenomenal. Um, but the, you know, there's a, there's a lot of folks, and I got to act with him on. Um, we do these readings for Theater of War, so I got to act with Jeffrey Wright and Paul Giamatti, uh, which was which was pretty amazing. Um, but that that world to me is my therapist has said to make sure I try to keep involved in it, and so I do because it's a very uh, it's a very therapeutic place. Cool. You know, I read that uh, Denzel Washington had esteem problems too. Oh yeah, uh, I'd read that when he was young. I mean, what were you going to say, Tom? I'm sorry. I was, well. We have to move on, but oh, yeah, he had to wrap up. Do <laughs> right, you, you have something you want to talk about? Is there a lightning round, Jamani? Anything just off the top of your head that you want to address? I mean, there's a lot of things going on now. I am frustrated that we have to take time off to uh, of defending our f- neighbors from Donald Trump uh, to pushing the progressive mayor to fire Daniel Pantaleo. So that's a, that's a, that's pretty frustrating. Um, oh, yeah. You wrote an op-ed like two days ago, right? Yeah, it's it's frustrating because we're dealing with people who. Like like, Cy Vance, who this is not Donald Trump. Yet we have to fight with him to reopen the Linda Fairstein cases, um, which is we're just saying look at them because particularly if there was no DNA evidence, if it happened once, it probably happened again. Saying no, the former commissioner Bill Bratton, when we asked for that, he called us a posse of vigilantes. This is not Donald Trump. Here we have um, the mayor who was elected on police reform issues, saying we're not even talking about criminal criminal prosecution now. We're simply saying at least don't let him be a police officer and we gotta fight that fight. So that's um that's a frustrating thing to see what people claim versus uh what they're doing. And I there's so much positivity that's happened in the police department from when I first got elected and I always try to give that credit. But it's almost like it's for naught if when it comes to accountability and transparency you haven't moved the needle. Got you. Anything on you, Tom? And because I know the public advocate has to go. Any uh, lightning round stuff? Uh, well, I was just going to ask him one question. Uh, I've been right. doing research about um, you know your acting past. I noticed that you were in a EPMD video. <laughs> How do you know EPMD? I, I don't know EPMD. <laughs> oh, uh, um, but that was back in college when I was pursuing acting. Some auditions and uh, we did videos and uh, EPMD was one of them. <laughs> and so. I was, I have much longer hair than uh, yeah. the beginning of it, and we just young virile Jumani Williams in the back of my head. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have a little history of the EPMD myself. You do? Yes, oh, I do. What's that? Uh, I came here as a singer songwriter, folk singer, and I sold a couple songs to Sleeping Bag Records. I thought I'd make it, and that was EPMD. They really? had Just Ice and Mantronics <laughs> and EPMD. And they were like on the Upper West Side. So I I used to sit there because I sold, you know, I actually made a little money. So they let me in. And here I was a folk singer, but I wrote a couple of dance songs. That was the dance age. That's awesome. Wait, and, for EPMD? No, no, it was for Sleeping Bag Records. It was their oh, label. Oh, so that's we, awesome. So I was actually, back then it was Def Jam and Sleeping Bag were Def two Jam. of the, the bigger labels. Well, for any hip-hop fans out there, I recommend Revenge of the Dreamers 3. Uh, that's an awesome album that just came out. J. Cole and his crew. So that's on my heavy rotation. All right. Well, that's a good place to end. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for coming to the studio and talking to us. Thanks for having me. And um, we wish you the best with your uh, new role and uh, rolling out that plan. Yep. Um, and Stay cool, everybody. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Heat right. <laughs> and we have a press conference actually later calling Con Edison to task for certain things. So we're going to be keep oh. pushing them on and keeping them on the heels. That's good. All right. Thank you very much, Jumani. That was a great interview with Jumani. Steve, we will be back next week with hopefully another guest. You can follow us at Kings County Polls on Twitter, Kings County Polls. 
at Kings County Post. You can follow me, Stephen Witt. It's Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N underscore Witt on Twitter. Um, Uncorrect New York is what on Twitter, Tom? At Uncorrect New York. At Uncorrect New York. And your Twitter account? At Tom Rosati. And if you want uh, Jumani Williams, it'd be at Jumani Williams. All right. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.